welcome back everybody to Rogue Opinions and the return of the Rogue Retro Smackdown review. I am still included and if you're if it's been too long and you've forgotten what the Rogue Retro Smackdown review was, it was myself and Jimmy as we went through every episode from nineteen ninety nine onwards of Smackdown. But uh, at the moment Jimmy is considered an essential worker and uh, is quite busy at the moment, so doesn't really have a lot of time for recording which we understand and we, we hope he's doing well in this stuff time as well as every other like potential worker because these are unusual times we live in. But I thought, I'm at home, I'm not working and I need something to do. So I thought, let's bring back the Rogue Retrospective Review to give people something to enjoy in their downtime and just dive back into the weird world of 1999 in the WWF. And so how it's going to go from now on is I will have... Uh, different co-hosts every couple of weeks so I'll do a couple of episodes with and then I'll have somebody else in and, uh, I'll be getting different perspectives on it depending on which episode it is and for this episode I am joined by Carl Hi, hello Scott yeah, probably one of the only ones out of our group that's old enough to have watched it as it happened in real life because what would you have been about three in 99? Yeah, I wouldn't have, have watched it yet I think uh, I think it was at some point in the early 2000s before I'm starting to watch. So it's like a year, maybe a year and a bit before my time. Uh, but I've watched quite a bit of this time period kind of in retrospect. So And obviously having to watch the episodes for the purpose of this review. So uh, I think I'll be pretty good at this. This is the October 14th episode of SmackDown. It's the go-home episode for No Mercy. But I think it's fair... Even though, Carl, you said you uh, remember watching this, I think for people, because it's been so long since the last uh, retrospective, so we should give a quick recap of the main things that have been going on in 99. Uh, we've got Triple H as the WF champion. He was supposed to win the title at SummerSlam, and then Austin allegedly didn't want to drop the title to Triple H, so it went to Mick Foley, who then lost it the following Raw to Triple H. And then Triple H on the fourth ever episode of SmackDown, lost it to Vince McMahon, thanks to interference from Steve Austin, only to then win it back in a six-pack challenge at Unforgiven. And I think it's clear when people talk about how well Triple H was made to look in his feud with Mick Foley in 2000, I think it's highly evident how vital that feud was for him, because so far in the run of Retro SmackDown, Triple H has not looked like a credible champion at all. No, I'd agree with that. He, it, it took his feud with Foley to, to really get him going, to be fair. Yeah, like, he's, he's presented as this, like, he is good at playing the unlikable heel and he's a guy who makes enemies of everybody, but especially in the feud that he's got going with Austin, he just seems to just get his arse handed to him every week, so it's hard to keep his like, credibility, and whenever he does get one, it's always with a lot of interference. Yeah, it was. Um, even though they sort of had the match, which we'll, we'll get to, Austin still wasn't keen on putting Triple H over clean, which is apparent as we'll uh, get into the finish of uh, the No Mercy main event in a, in a later part. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because as, as I said, this is a go-home episode, and uh, the next episode after this will be the review of No Mercy itself, which Carl will also be joining me for. Uh, another key thing on the roster at the minute is that the the Undertaker has currently left the company for a brief while. He's taking a quite extended period off. He left on the 
SmackDown just before uh, Unforgiving when he was maybe in that six-pack challenge, only to be replaced by the returning Bulldog. We'll get to him. And Undertaker is gone, and we will not see him until, uh, I believe, May time of 2000, where he will spend a lot next few years talking to us about his main interest of motorcycles. Yeah, he had to... Um... Had some overdue surgery, didn't he? So he, he took the time off to, to get the surgery done and uh, recuperate. And then, yeah, came back totally repackaged. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it was kind of a, a time off that he did because it was clear the weeks leading up to it that he, didn't, he wanted to be anywhere else but there. He needed that time off desperately. Yeah. But as I said, he was replaced by the returning British Bulldog who turned heel at unforgiven to help Triple H retain because they claimed they had some sort of deal where Bulldog was offered a title shot but Triple H was apparently lying so now Bulldog's been going around wanting a title shot and part of the storyline even though for whatever reason Rebellion was not a U- was not available in the US until months later they had a pretty what seemed like an important angle that they keep referencing on television happened on that show and that is when Bulldog gets angry with his man he throws a bin which then hits Stephanie in the face and gives her amnesia. Yeah, <laughs> it was a bizarre storyline to run with, especially when you're not making the pay-per-view available uh, in the US straight away as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now obviously, I said, the fingerprints of Vince was all over, and it definitely was his idea, because he's the kind of guy watching like the soap operas at the time, and that is a common kind of, TV like soap opera trope that someone loses their memory for a few episodes but the thing with Russo is that very night where they did that pay-per-view he's off with Ed Ferrar signing his new deal for WCW so Russo's gone and this basically the WF left with this crappy storyline which they don't know what to do with because they're having Tess engaged to Stephanie and they were going to get married and now Stephanie doesn't remember who Tess is and and while I just want a, an indication of how Russo's time in WCW went, you can check out me and Sean reviewing that episode of Nitro where he picked himself to win the title. Ah, <laughs> oh, God. Uh, sorry, I'm having PTSD flashbacks about that now. It's mad how he still defends his bad decisions to this day as well, isn't it? <laughs> as I was like, I watched the Brawl for All episode of that Dark Side of the Ring and just like, even then, he doesn't really see what he's done wrong. And again, you get to cut to Jim Cornell, who's not really a saint himself, but you can see why he gets annoyed him. Because, like, mm. all these years, like, all the things that they talked about, the careers that got fucked up during that, in the space of the documentary. And Jim Cornell's like, and he still doesn't fucking see what he's done wrong. He's got no self awareness at all, as he went through, so he really hasn't. He, he really, really doesn't. So. Like I said, they're basically left to pick up the scraps with this, this storyline. And those are kind of the main points. We'll uh, talk about the storylines heading into No Mercy across all this matchroom. But first, as I used to do with Jimmy, I watched the Raw as well, leading into this to kind of give more context because on SmackDown, they'll often reference what happened on Raw and like continue the main storylines rather than SmackDown being what it was like or going to be for a long time in the B show, which is just matches that weren't really consequential because they would get, then get replayed on Raw. But it was a packed episode of uh, Monday Night Raw. This week was the, on October 11th. They were in the WCW hotbed of Atlanta 
in the Georgia Dome for thirty five thousand. It it looked um, like a massive venue. Also, that building famous for having moments like Goldberg defeating Hogan for the title. Uh, it just screamed to me, girl, that the fact that this building was clearly sold out, and this is what used to be the WCW hotbed. It just shows that how in '99, how already dead in the war WCW is, and how pretty much WAF has already won this Monday Night War. Yeah, because I tuned in to sort of skim through this episode of Raw, and uh, yeah, it's a super hot crowd. It really is. Yeah, and honestly, I think the reason the fact that WCW is in such a position, you can see why they were so desperate that they were so willing to hire Vince Russo because Russo is so able to convince people that. He's somehow responsible for everything good that the WF was doing at the time. Well, well, well at this point, I mean, Russo and Ed Ferrar had the had the track ra- the track record. This was sort of before they were. It wasn't until they were in WCW without uh, a Vince McMahon to rein them in that they got found out. Really? Yeah, no, it was weird. That a lot of it apparently was like the added stress of adding SmackDown to their schedule, and they apparently weren't getting any more money. But they're working longer hours. Like, yeah, you get more money, but you're still doing the same amount of hours of TV and WCW because WCW had Nitro and Thunder, and Nitro, I think, by this point, had moved up to three hours. Yeah, I can't really recall when Thunder was uh, introduced. Had it been introduced by now? But yeah. yeah, perhaps they were offered a lot more money to go there, or or, or something. I don't know the complete ins and outs of the deal. I mean, storyline that is referenced on uh, this show, but to give some more context to it here on Raw, the continuation of the, the Stone Cold Triple H story leading into the main event of No Mercy where Triple H will defend the title against Austin. This has all been building since the, the end of the, the Triple Threat match at SummerSlam where Foley won the title. Austin got taken out by Triple H with repeated chair shots to the legs. It was kind of to write Austin out for a few weeks because by this point, Austin's injuries especially when his neck are really like piling on and he is going to have to leave very soon to get surgery. So they kind of kept him out. They had him on uh, Unforgiven in the six-pack as the enforcer, just so they could like, advertise Stone Cold to be on the card. He uh, wasn't a way fly to no, to rebellion, but he has been a prominent fixture on TV constantly, almost every other week, beating up uh, Triple H in some form or another. There was a random episode of SmackDown where where JR chanted uh, Austin about his preparation for the match while they were randomly shooting things out in the woods, which was bizarre. And which is even weirder, I think that's the episode of SmackDown. Uh, Triple H decided to prove how ruthless he is. He got a bunch of rattlesnakes, obviously Austin's name is a rattlesnake, you know, and he put a snake in a bag and basically just smashed it with a sledgehammer, which is supposed to be intimidating to Austin, who then came out on this one, basically said, yeah, I don't care. <laughs> this is basically the 90s equivalent of, like, whenever these dog jokes are made about Roman Reigns, like in his feud with Baron Corbin, because, oh, his name is a big dog, so we need to make these dog jokes and get out cans of dog food, like, uh, it just didn't work. Yeah, you can see why people um, complain that Vince is stuck in certain eras, because he they do sort of recycle the same the same stuff again and again, don't they? Yeah, and uh, in this feud, Triple H did the, what seemed to be the go-to tactic to get in Austin's head for a time, which was basically beat up JR. 
because on episode of Raw, I think it was, he brought JR into the ring and basically said, what do you think Austin thinks of me? And JR just looked him straight down and goes, Austin thinks you're an asshole. And so the, and Triple H just beats up JR. And which leads into this segment here where Vince is with Stone Cold. Vince is now a face after they'll beating Triple H for the title because Triple H basically made it personal with uh, Linda. Which is it's a weird time to think Austin and Vince both being babyface together at the same time. Because like Vince comes out and to open the show to introduce Austin and people that Austin might be the new champion. Like seeing Vince come out to a pop, like a face pop, and then introducing Austin and talking about Austin so favorably is like the polar opposite of what everything was like a year prior to this. It is strange. And he, he got over quite big as a baby face as well, Vince, but man, surprisingly, the, he mm-hmm. gets a, you know, a fair, you know, a decent reaction. But yeah, it, it's, um, it's always strange to see, to see him as a, a baby face when he's performing. Yeah. Uh, Triple H confronts Austin during this promo and uh, it's not one of Triple H's best promos like he, he, has, he has good weeks and bad weeks at this stage when he's uh, trying to be intimidating cut his heel promo and it wasn't one of the best ones because you had the crowd chanting asshole which was a common thing when Triple H was out and uh, Austin points out you got 35,000 people calling you an asshole but Triple H responds as well you can tell he's 35,000 people I don't care if they'll ever die like Really, just I think he's trying a bit too hard to show I am the bad guy here, which is I think again it just shows that Triple H really needed that feud with Mick Foley that's coming in a few months. But they set up uh, Jr. eventually stands up to Triple H because at one point was well, a bit of a all uh, Triple H goes over and takes a cheap shot at Jr. who then picks up a random fan that was sitting next to them at the commentary desk and smacks Triple H with it. And then China comes out with some of the fakest looking punches you've ever seen. There's almost like I mean, that crip, uh, the cliff of the creeper from the Dark Order hitting those fake looking punches. <laughs> it was on that same level. It didn't help the position of the camera made it look even worse. And the thing with China, China's got a particular storyline of her own going into No Mercy, which you'd forget, which I actually forgot about for the majority of this rock because they barely mentioned it until the main event where. One of the matches, what main event matches was JR teaming with Stone Cold against Triple H in China. And throughout the whole show, you have uh, King basically giving JR grief, telling like, do you know what you're getting in for? Do you know? What and uh, at one point, he even offers to give JR some tips, King being a, a former wrestler. And JR asks him, can I borrow your boots, King? I heard they never leave the canvas. <laughs> it's a weird dynamic though with China, isn't it? Because she's full heel when she's with Triple H in the feud with Austin. And yet, she's babyface in a feud with uh, Jeff Jarrett. Yeah. It's weird, like, you'd think at some point during this feud, she'd quietly, they'd take quietly move her away from Triple H, who is the top heel, and put her on her own, because I think she had the popularity to make her by herself, because they do do that in a few months. And, like, it's weird because like, she's coming out to Triple H's theme song as well. And again, Triple H is the top heel. And yeah, she's maybe standing up for all women. So, And it was a common complaint me and Jimmy had about this. And it was a weird thing where I didn't really, wasn't rooting for China going into her original match with Jeff at Unforgiven because again, she was associated with Triple H. But then again, I can't really root for Jeff Chaddock because uh, 
he's basically an, a misogynist and I don't want to be rooting for him. So you're left in a weird position, like, who the hell am I rooting for here? Yeah, it's very bizarre, as you say. They, they should have quietly removed China from um, Triple H's side if they wanted to push her as a baby face in this angle. It's I don't think I've ever seen it since or before where somebody's a heel on in one role and a baby face in another role on the on the same show in the same timeline. Yeah, because uh, like, they could have easily done it because the whole idea of the sex fight was these are all people that Triple H has pissed off since becoming champion and the idea of Triple H constantly making enemies. I think they could have like used that with China that he's so obsessed with the title he's even pushing away the people mm. that stood by him. But, you know, obviously hindsight's twenty twenty and all that, but the match itself is not much to talk about the tag match. I do believe this is the first time JR comes out to the, the Oklahoma Sinners like, theme song that he uses because they make a big deal of it. It's Michael Cole joining King Conte for the rest of Raw as is the, they are the team on SmackDown as well. Uh, it's mostly a brawl between Triple H and Triple H and Austin for throughout the crowd most of it, whereas while well, China just beats up JR, you know, that woman who's standing up for her women's rights against the misogynist is there beating up the the old not not a wrestler commentator. <laughs> yeah. she, she gives JR pedigree at one point, and she looks to go for the figure four because that's Jeff Chatsmith. Only for Jeff Chat to come out, smack her in the back of the head with a toaster, put her in this laundry bin, and then later on he wheels her backstage and pushes her off this ledge, which isn't that high. But then they show her getting carried out of the the hamper, and somehow China's got blood all over her. Yeah, and that's another weird one, isn't it? Because it, it, Jarrett's the the heel, and I know it's a heelish thing to hit her with a toaster, but he's at the same time he's saving Jr. as well. Because <laughs> if he hadn't come out, Jr. would have been put in the figure four. I know. Uh, it's just so weird. Very, like, very mixed up and ill thought out, isn't it? Yeah, and then uh, they go. The match kind of just ends. I don't think this tie match really ever actually began. Uh, so then later on, Austin's walking backstage. The brawl continues with him and Triple H. They fight into this room where Austin closes the door, and you can hear which, uh, the sound of a rattlesnake, which definitely was not put in post. And Triple H has just been left in a room with a random snake. And he's going, No, no, as Raw goes off air. You know, that kind of <laughs> act, and never really gets it. That really got Triple H's role in uh, Blade Trinity. Oh. <laughs> uh. Uh, it was a big role for tag teams because uh, you had the storyline. You had this weird storyline with X Pac and Kane, where they were tag champs. They lost the titles. They broke up because X Pac thought he was the weak link. They got back together, uh, and then on this for the last few weeks, X Pac's been trying to prove he's not the weak link in the team, and he can let because he's considered a small guy by his WF standards. And it led to a feud between him and Kane versus the Acolytes, which has now led to not a tag team match at No Mercy. It's going to be a four corners elimination four way match with basically two tag teams fighting each other and a fatal four way match. And X Pac claims he's got a point to prove. So X Pac has a match with Farouk on Raw, which he tells Kane, Whatever you do, do not come out and help me. I need to do this by myself. So you've got Kane watching on a tiny portable television backstage, actually watching the match from a decent angle. <laughs> uh, as Xbox just gets the hell beaten out of him by Farouk, he does find a way to catch him with the X Factor and get the win. But the uh, the acolytes then attack X Factor after the match. Kane comes out, he stands on the ramp, and he's like, "I couldn't interfere." 
and help them, but he told me not to. And then he watches for a bit and eventually just goes in and helps them. And Xbox does not seem to be too grateful for Kane's assistance. I don't know why, because the match was over and he won the match all by himself. I mean, he's not going to... I mean, there's not going to be many men who can fend off both Bradshaw and Farouk on their own. Let's that's, that's be honest. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> uh, it was a very short blinking of the match between uh, Mr. S, Billy Gunn, and Crash Holly. The Hollies are supposed to be challenging the New Zealand for their tag team titles at No Mercy. It, just, it was a few that came about. It was just, uh, oh, Outlaws needed a team to fight this month. Let's just put the Hollies against them. The Hollies doing that whole super heavyweight thing where they come out with the scales. What was nice was before the match, uh, Road Dog said, said, I'm sending this one out to my boy Draws because uh, this is only a few weeks post the uh, the horrific injury which would leave Draws uh, paralysed. And basically, uh, Billy Gunn basically just squashes Crash. Like he beats the hell of him, he hits him with a jackhammer. No one in Atlanta has ever used that move. Uh, <laughs> Crash distracts Hardcore distracts the ref Which then leads to Road, Road Dog kind of taking out Hardcore Crash gets back up Immediately hit with a Famouser 1-2-3 Road Dog wins And then the Hollies beat them down with the scales afterwards So one of the team got squashed But then they got their heat back afterwards By beating them down Can't wait for that match at No Mercy No <laughs> And This is a weird storyline here Ivory is set to challenge the fabulous Miller oh, at No Mercy. God. I'd, I'd actually world. forgot about this. I actually forgot about this. Can you imagine my dismay when <laughs> I realised this match was happening? <laughs> well, Ivory was supposed to fight uh, Miller on Sorry, supposed to fight me Young on Raw. And I feel bad for Ivory because uh, after Ivory retained the title on Forgiven, she basically confronted Fabulous Miller and Mae Young at, who were being interviewed because they'd been attacked by Jeff Jarrett as well and Jeff Jarrett's weird crusade against all women uh, and Shane had basically got, uh, Ivory got in her face basically saying how she was a better women's champion and uh, Miller and Mae Young just with a little provocation just beat down Ivory and it's basically been the case ever since where these two old women keep ganging up on the, the women's champion and they're maybe the faces and Ivory just basically <laughs> Mae Young with the title belt before the match even started and then Miller just came out, attacked Ivory and then posed with the title uh, I think most of these segments with Miller and Mae is just an excuse for uh, Jerry Lawler to read from his list of old jokes that he's prepared that particular week <laughs> yeah. uh, One of the great storylines of this course of this picture review has been the, uh, the Rock and Sock connection with The Rock basically wanting nothing to do with Mick Foley, and Mick Foley really being desperate to be The Rock's friend. Yeah, they've, they've been Titan champions, they're kind of on the outs. On the SmackDown the previous week, it was Mankind uh, who accidentally hit The Rock with a steel chair during The Rock's match with Val Venus, and then The Rock responded by hitting Mankind with a rock bomb after the match. So kinda, there's some tension there. Mankind says he wants an answer from The Rock. Is The Rock going to be a team player? Are they going to be a team or not? Uh, so GR tries to get The Rock on the phone as The Rock's on his way to the arena. And what's brilliant is The Rock answers the phone. Great one. <laughs> uh, which i just like to imagine that Rock would probably answer his phone. Uh, while Mankind's waiting for The Rock to get there, Val Venus and the Bulldog attack him because Val Venus is challenging Mankind. 
uh, on No Mercy, and the Bulldog is facing the Rock at No Mercy. So, uh, there to be at least a tag match, even though Rock doesn't want to be in a tag team with McFoley anymore. Vince very much says, you know what, you two are going to team up whether you want to or not. Uh, the Rock in a, a promo, because they're in Atlanta, there's a thing, he's done it before, but where basically he says, you know what they say, and he basically starts running down WCW catchphrases like, to be the man, you gotta, no, that's not it. Uh, what you gonna do, Bulldog? No, that's not it. <laughs> which, uh, which I very much has done like, at some point in 98, I think he did it. Uh, the Rock says he's got a job for Mankind, as there was a dog pen with a bunch of Bulldogs in it, and basically asked Mankind, take this tray, take this cover scooper, and scoop up all the shit. And so during the tag match, Mankind comes down with this tray of dog shit, and <laughs> Leads to the infamous angle where The Rock raw bombs the Bulldog onto this plate of dog poop, which gives Michael Cole a chance to do his best GR impression going, The dog poop! The dog poop! The Rock bomb on the dog poop! <laughs> and <laughs> and The Rock, weirdly, the match has happened. Uh, rock and Bulldog are illegal. Val Venus and Mankind are brawled to the back. Rock goes to the people's elbow. Bulldog falls over on his stomach. And Rock realises, oh, his back's covered in shit. So I don't want yeah. so, so I don't so I don't want an album in the back. Then goes up on the turnbuckle, poses, and then he seems on place. The match just ends. No nobody won, nobody lost, like uh, That was quite no typical sense. it was quite a typical nineteen ninety nine book in that, uh, Scott, to be honest. Pretty much. <laughs> well, I'm quickly finding that out. <laughs> so yeah. You you would have thought Bulldog you would have had this angle with him and the Bulldog either just after the pay-per-view or had this happen at the pay-per-view because Bulldog gets a promo on SmackDown, which we'll get to, but like, I'll be honest with you, I didn't pay attention to it because now all I see him is, you're that guy, you got rock-bottomed on dog shit, aren't you? Yeah, if he if he, if he wasn't um, buried before, he he was he was, he was was done after that dog poo angle. He, he might as well have just stuck a fork in him. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm very much, very certain when the Hall of Fame this year eventually does happen that uh, the Bulldogs video package will not include the footage of this. No. <laughs> so, let's see what else happened, Andrew. We have, uh, obviously, talking about uh, Stephanie did a, a backstage interview talking about how she's slowly regaining memory. She doesn't really, doesn't quite remember Test, but she doesn't hold anything against the Bulldog, which will lead into an interview with Test. Test says he won't uh, won't figure Bulldog that happens on SmackDown, and I've got right here in my notes. Why isn't Test facing Bulldog? Like, surely it's more natural that Test fights the Bulldog at No Mercy because Test has just got nothing to do. He's just basically a a spare prick in this. Yeah, it's really weird. And yeah, you'd thought he'd want to get revenge for his woman, wouldn't you? And yeah, challenge the um, the Bulldog with them. Um, the Rock would have nothing to do, and he's your second biggest star, so you can't not have him on there. Yeah, I don't on your like, pay per view, so I don't know. Things happened on Smack. Things happened on SmackDown that we could have booked something different, I suppose, which we'll which we'll get to in due course. So, mm-hmm. like, it's weird because uh, I don't want to talk about talk badly about test position, but. I think he and Bulldog are of equal standing, whereas The Rock is clearly above both of them. And, like, it just shows to show like, how selfless The Rock can be at times, because, like, The Rock will work with just for anybody. He'll fight Val Venus in the main event, Matt He'll do something with Billy Gunn at SummerSlam. He'll fight The Bulldog on pay-per-view. 
but like he really shouldn't be though. This is kind of below him. Whereas I know Bill Dog's been costing the Rock the title a couple of times, and that obviously doesn't sit right with the Rock. But the Rock even says in a promo that Bill Dog is pretty much nothing to him. So and Seth has a proper like, reason to to hate the Bulldog because the woman he was going to marry now doesn't even have a clue who he is and he's been cost his wedding because of Bulldog that's that's a hot like feud for a pay-per-view yeah. I think it's a real shame though because a Bulldog in his prime would have been more of a, a match for for The Rock but he was just so much a shell of his former self at this point he, yeah as you say he was nowhere near The Rock's level and the more you saw <clears throat> The more he appeared on television and the more you saw him uh, work, the more apparent it became that he just wasn't good enough anymore, unfortunately. Yeah, well, we'll get into the episode because there's a few more points I got from Rob. I can tie those in to when they basically, the storylines continue on SmackDown so I can tie those in together. So this episode of SmackDown kind of has a bit of a cold open where you've got a mankind coming into Vince's office where he's there with Stephanie and he comes in, he plugs his upcoming autobiography, have a nice day and he goes, I'm here to repay that favour. What favour? You know, last week when you told me I'll leave you the hell alone and I did. So now I, you owe me a favour. <laughs> and he, he, he basically says, the people want it one more time. The Rock and Sock back together and he basically asks, can we, can the Rock and Sock have a tag team title match? Because it was then that lost to the the titles to the Outlaws right before Unforgiven and they haven't really got a rematch so he's within his rights to ask for it and Vince basically relents to it as long as The Rock agrees to it then fine and then Mick goes to leave and then he sees some confectionery on the table grabs a couple of like, random chocolate bars and then buggers off like I gotta go <laughs> he's such a he's such a great um, performer mankind he plays this like comedy foil and goof so well but yeah when he's wrestling these matches you're still taking him seriously as a hardcore legend at the same time it's it's brilliant how he balances these different sort of versions of himself yeah it really is he has been a constant highlight like the rock's just like like not really interested doesn't really want to be associated with him but Mick Foley is just so entertaining and it's just been a highlight throughout the show uh, speaking of the outlaws they do open the show coming out and one of the things you quickly remember when you watch these shows back is just how over the Outlaws are. I mean, I often thought of them like, oh, they only won the tag titles so many times, or they only got back together only a few months after breaking up, is because really there was, before like, the start of 2000, there weren't really that many top tag teams. But then you actually watch them and you realise, well, they did have their place because they were over as hell. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, if you're watching as long as I, uh, I was, even at that point, it's amazing how over they became because um, as single stars in like 1997, they were just proper, you know, they weren't even mid-carders. They were below even that, you know, barely a murmur from the crowd. And yeah, they put them together and they started to get over and then they put them with DX and yeah, they, they became so hot. It's really amazing. Yeah, very much so. Uh, they open the show, they're basically, they go through all their, their sticks they, they're teasing they're going to have an open challenge uh, for the titles, but then they're interrupted by the Phantom of the Opera, aka Triple H. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what did you think? What, what did you think of his makeup? Is that, for me, it didn't, it didn't look very realistic, to be honest. I don't know if, I, if it was meant to, because I know it, 
I know it's a charade in the end, so I, I don't know if it's meant to look a bit crap or they just didn't do a very good job. Can't decide. It looks like such a B movie makeup job they did. It's basically, it's all black around the eye, and then he's basically maybe all purpley and disfigured around the, the left hand, bottom left hand of the face. And he comes out, the commentators, despite the fact that they were on commentary, Michael Cohen came during that segment where Triple H was last seen in a room with a rattlesnake. They seemed to have no indication of connecting the rattlesnake to the current appearance of Triple H because they haven't seen him since Raw. Like, like, I mean, I know it's one of those cases where you talk about like WWE insulting your intelligence. In case of like the last time you seen him, he got uh, like he was in a room with a rattlesnake and somebody like, oh, I couldn't think of any reason why he would be like this. Yeah, <laughs> and he he says he basically asks the outlaws politely to leave the ring because he's got something important to say, and he's all emotional. People are still chatting, asshole, and he goes and he basically talks about how people don't care. And how they're bloodthirsty, and he invites Vince out because it's all Vince's fault. Because you allowed Austin to bring a poisonous steak to the building last week, despite the fact that, that Triple H bought a room full of them so he could smash his sledgehammer and maybe sell <laughs> yeah. him. Uh, so it's kind of karma in a way. And then he shows the footage, and even in the commentary, like, oh, could it have been the rattlesnake that did that to him? Like, you think? <laughs> They're so daft at times on commentary, aren't they? Yeah. Basically, like, Vince doesn't really know what to say. And basically, Triple H says that when Austin gets here, I'll hand this belt to him because he doesn't want to be seen anymore. He thinks he looks like a freak. He went, clearly, this belt means more than life to Steve Austin. And so, basically, that is the a weird one in plot to the night that they keep showing a shot of a door. And that's meant to indicate that Austin will be arriving soon. And like, do you think Triple H will actually just hand the belt over to, to Austin? So the commentators go from not knowing why Triple H will let us to completely believing that Triple H is just going to give the belt up and No Mercy is not going to have any main event. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, quite a strange premise when you, when you put it like that. Because, uh, yeah, if you had given the title up, what, what, what would they have done at No Mercy? Yeah. We go backstage where it looks like Xbox just arriving at the building and basically we get the reverse of uh, last of what happened on Raw where basically Kane says, Sean, stay out of it. And Kane goes to the ring for a two-on-one handicap match against both members of the Acolytes. Now, the thing with here we talk about anybody taking on both members of the Acolytes, Kane does hold his own for the majority of this match. Oh yeah, someone like Kane, you can, you can fully expect and believe that he could probably even beat beat them single-handedly. He's a, he's a huge man and he's got all that sort of mystique that surrounds him. So, so yeah, that's sort of, he's one of the exceptions that, that kind of proved the rule, so to speak. But, yeah, it's uh, it's quite a decent match for what it is, really. As you say, Kane does get his uh, offence in for a bit, but in the end, uh, both members of the APA do prove too much for him. Yeah, he takes the cold line from hell, he sits right back up, he takes the, the dull powerbomb finisher from the Acolytes, he kicks out, and then the Acolytes prove that they're smarter than most people because they do what most people should do when they, someone kicks out their finisher. They pick Kane up and hit, um, hit their finisher again, and this time they both cover him at the same time and keep him down, which I often wonder, like, who's kicked out his finisher? We'll hit it again. Maybe he won't kick out this <laughs> time. Which, uh, it makes sense, and then Xbox comes out with a chair to make to prevent them from beating them down after the match. 
so basically Xbox doing what he told Kane not to do on Raw. Yeah, it's uh, quite an interesting angle between these uh, Xbox and Kane at the moment. Mm. Uh, the thing with the Acolytes is it's kind of a decent angle that they're in at the moment, but really they've got nothing really going from at the moment other than that they happen to be like hard-hitting. Like, I think it's going to be a, they're a few months away from officially being the APA, and that's where you truly get to see like, the personality from both of them, especially like Bradshaw, when like they're doing like the backstage segments where they're playing cards and things like that. Like Their main thing before this was that they had the feud with the Dudleys, where basically they were trying to prove that the Dudleys didn't belong in the WF after they came from ECW, so there's not really much going for them at the minute. But yeah, we move on to backstage where uh, Mick Foley's going through the backstage area and he runs in AC Richards, who is his current thing at the moment is impersonating people, and basically a few weeks ago he asked Mick, can I take the dude's love gimmick? And he went, yeah, alright. And Mick was quite willing to because he knew people hated dude's love, so he sees like, AC Richards and basically looks at him to say, Oh, you're still doing that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Quite funny, I forgot, I completely forgot um, Stevie Richards is even about at that time, let alone um, impersonating dude love. Yeah. Uh, he did a couple of things, like he came out as a member of the Dudleys at one point, he came out as a member of the Acolytes, and because the Acolytes have got the paint symbols on their chest, he came out with the word UPN uh, painted on his chest, <laughs> and he he got paid for it by nearly having his fucking neck broken when Farouk hit the Dominator on him. So he runs into Mick Foley and basically asks Mick if he can take on Val Venus for him. And Mick just was one, you know, Val Venus would probably kill you. And, yeah. <laughs> and what's kind of harsh on Mick's part is basically saying is when Stevie says that Mick is his best friend and uh, Mick says, I can say you're your friend, but, you know, The Rock's already my best friend. It's almost like it's almost like what mankind is to the rock, isn't it? Stevie <laughs> Richards wants to be mankind's best friend, and mankind doesn't want to do is Stevie Richards. <laughs> Very much. Uh, when Mick does find the rock later on, uh, he basically tries to turn around and saying that Vince is making them team up because I think he realizes that's the only way the rock can agree. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> They do it with him. And the Rock doesn't say he doesn't even care who their opponents are. Like, I think you'd want to hear who your opponents are because you're fighting fucking tag team champions. But again, I think the Rock's more focused on being a single star than a tag team wrestler at the minute. Yeah, he just wants to, to fob Nick Foley off and get rid of him, basically. Doesn't he? Yeah, we have, a, we, cut, we have a sharp cut backstage to uh, Jericho brawling with Mr. Hughes as uh, his former muscle. And this all stems from a uh, Monday Night Raw where uh, Mr. Hughes and Jericho had a match against the returning Headbangers, who... <laughs> I wanted to talk about the Headbangers for a second. Uh, the Headbangers uh, broke up for about, I think one of them got injured. And so Chaz had the famous, infamously bad Beaver Cleavage gimmick. Is that already, is that already happened uh, at this point, then, the... <laughs> Well, the infamous well, the beaver we, cleavage gimmick. The thing we got, we started this, he'd already dropped that, and he was just called Chaz, I think, or Chad. Yeah. And uh, the woman who was maybe playing his mum while he was beaver cleavage, I think, in real life, was his girlfriend. So they just had him play his girlfriend. And they kept implying that uh, Chad was uh, beating his girlfriend. She'd come out with 
black eyes and that. And oh yes, yes, I do remember that now. Yeah. What's What's weird is it was a during a match with a Godfather that she came out with a black eye and she kept yelling "Why" at him, and Godfather looks at him very angry as if "How dare you!" Like, yes, the man who sells women to have sex with random guys is maybe the guy standing up for women. <laughs> It's all right. It's all right. We just sell them for sex, but don't go hitting them. Yeah, he's the nicest pimp in the world. There's, there's even like a, a spot backstage in episode of Raw, I think it is, where the camera goes to the locker room and a bunch of wrestlers are beating up uh, Chad, and they throw him out the locker room. And Nero Hadner goes, "Get out of here! No one wants you in here." Like so, basically, we're implying that oh, wife beating will not be tolerated here in the WF. Meanwhile, coming up later, Stone Cold Steve Austin is. I think I think Chad got a bit buried because he didn't want to do the uh, Beaver Cleavage gimmick, and you know what Vince is like if you don't go along with uh, what he wants you to do. Pretty much. So apparently, like it was just such a big angle that it wasn't even shown on Raw or SmackDown. I think it may have even been on Heat, where it basically thanks to GTV, it was revealed that she was actually lying. And she, apparently the black eye was all makeup and that, and she was basically making it up because you know women all they do is lie. <laughs> oh, exactly. <laughs> he must have got uh, lied to a whole lot by by women, Vince McMahon. Uh-huh. It was also a, very much a Russo trope that Vince is a big fan of uh, women just being liars. So then one of the hit he said banger type or thrasher, I think it was, came back and just. Well, the headbangers are back together, and I'll be honest with you, Carl, I've never been a fan of the headbangers. Uh, they were all right back in their day in 97, I think it was about 97, um, back when rock music was become well, not rock music, more metal was becoming a lot more mainstream, and it was, uh, it was an okay gimmick for its time, but yeah, it was pretty much run its course and looked very much out of date even by 1999 yeah and one thing I really don't like is their finisher often looks like they're going to kill somebody where they do the powerbomb as the other guy does the leg drop but the other when they one who's doing the powerbomb barely looks like he's able to get the person up and when the other does the leg drop looks like they're going to land right on their fucking neck so and they did they hit this move on Mr. Hughes on Raw because Jericho just abandons Hughes and also, Hughes is a big guy, so they they struggle to get him up for the powerbomb. So I definitely thought they were going to drop him. And given that a similar move is what paralyzed draws, like I don't know if they should be using a move like that on a guy Hughes' size. Yeah, um, they're not the biggest guys to be using the powerbomb. It it should be reserved for your your big guys like Kevin Nash and and what have you, really. Mm-hmm. So. It's obviously you bigger than the mega powers explode in Jericho and Mr. Hughes explode. <laughs> as, they, as they have a match on SmackDown, the it instantly starts with a fight on the ramp, as most matches do in the Attitude Era. Uh, there's not really much to say of this match. We do have an appearance from the late uh, Howard Finkel, who helps Jericho win by sliding a chair in the ring and then distracting the rest. So while he's distracted, Jericho just smashes Hughes with the chair and gets the win, and Jericho shows his appreciation by basically giving Howard Finkel to Mr. Hughes. Yeah, it's a it's a, it's a strange sort of partnership, the, the Hugh, Mr. Hughes and 
Jericho one. Jericho was never really keen on being put with uh, Mr. Hughes, and already they're, they're struggling to know what to do with Jericho at the moment, aren't they? He came in yeah. with all this fanfare and cutting a promo against The Rock, and already he's sort of right down the right down the card. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, it's good to see Fink here. Uh, in the early episodes of SmackDown before Mr. Hughes, uh, Howard Fink was basically the lackey of uh, Jericho. It's some stuff that doesn't really get talked about that much. Probably because Jericho really just kind of writes off his first few months in the company as he talks about in his book uh, about how he struggled to kind of get to grips with the newer style and the new atmosphere of the company. But I think a lot of the stuff that Jericho and Finkel did, uh, a lot of it was, was really good. Like Howard was being used as the lackey way, where Ken Shamrock was chasing Jericho and, and Finkel. Jericho gets in the car, drives away, leaving Finkel at the mercy of Shamrock. Shamrock grabs him by the throat. And basically, it's implied that Howard Finkel peed himself. Yeah, it was quite funny, but uh, I don't know. I, I, feel, I, feel, I always felt someone like Howard Finkel deserved a bit. A bit more respect than some of these uh, sort of comedy angles and that he was thrown into, to be honest. Yeah. And he, and during the course of this, it basically, because Tony Timmel's coming in and Howard Finkel thought his spot was being thrown, Jericho basically encourages him to go down and challenge uh, Tony Timmel to a tuxedo match where basically Timmel beats the hell out of him. <laughs> and uh, because he hype him up backstage, Jericho's going, come on, Howard, you're a warrior, you're a warrior. So Harry Finkel comes out to the Ultimate Warrior theme song. <laughs> uh, but, you know, like, it was kind of nice to see Howard here because I actually thought his stuff was, was quite good, you know, especially in retrospect to his stuff in comparison to his stuff with fucking Hughes. So it was nice to see him here, especially given that he only passed away fairly recently. Yeah, he, he was a better foil for Jericho than, than Mr. Hughes, and he, he, play, he did play the part well, but I always prefer to remember him as perhaps the greatest uh, ring announcer of all time. What's, what's weird is Howard Finkel also doesn't want to go with Mr. Hughes, but Mr. Hughes seems delighted at the fact that yeah, he's got he really does, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, and like I don't get like Howard Finkel looks annoyed about this. Like, no, Howard doesn't really officially. Mean, you're not owned by Jericho. He there's no legal way he can give you to Mr. Hughes. So. <laughs> I know, like, Mr. Hughes is a big guy, so probably he couldn't get far away from Howard Finkel couldn't really outrun him, but if he tried to get away from him, but, like, there's no reason this has to stick here. But he seemed to have disappeared from the company anyway, Mr. Hughes, didn't he? He wasn't, he wasn't uh, around long. Yeah, I think he's lucky if he has, like, one or two more appearances following this. So, you know, he's pretty much on his way out, and uh, I'll be honest, I won't really miss him that much. No, he he was never the best uh, wrestler or or character really. He had a brief spell in um, in the early nineties where he was quite a lot bigger. Actually, he was well over the hundred three hundred pound mark. Mm-hmm. I mean, you talk about a, a tonal shift. We've got ah, uh, isn't this funny? Harry Finkel and they're owned by Mister Hughes. This past Monday on Raw, we heard we found out Big Joe's dad has cancer. Yeah, this is one of the more tasteless um, angles and storylines they ran and it's 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 up there with Katie Vick for me it's pictures dad in real life had died um, a couple of years 
um, yeah. bef- before this angle was run. And it's, I don't, I don't know. I mean, you, you go, you go, you watch wrestling for escapism and that from this sort, from these sort of days, real life dramas and that. And to be doing an angle on it, it's just, uh, I don't know. I've, I was never a fan of it in the day, and I like it even less now. And especially knowing where it sort of leads to as well, the infamous. Um, casket angle with uh, the big bus man yeah I mean on Raw it's really brought up in a backstage but we're dealing about uh, trying to comfort the big show uh, after hearing the news about his dad uh, boss man basically comes in and goes he's scared to have a match with, with big show and goes I don't really care about your personal problems so big show comes out he has a match with the boss man he ends kind of in a DQ and Al Snow kind of comes down to make the save for the big show to help him out because Al Snow and uh, boss man have have, uh, still have issues after the whole Ken from Hell angle and that all the mism with that. Me and I, I took to call in Bossman when me and Jimmy were doing this as basically the Doctor Evil of the WF because no real reason for the reason for why he does all these horrible things. He just <laughs> does they need they need someone to be just pure evil and Bossman just somehow got given that role. Yeah, it's uh, it's a very strange sort of role as you say. <laughs> You can't, he just does really terrible things just for the sake of it. Like feeding Al Snow his dead dog. Yeah. Uh, Big Show does this pre-tape interview with JR on SmackDown where he says, basically, you know, I never really fulfilled my potential or I hit, like, coasting on things where I, I was so close to graduating and I dropped out because I've only got a few more opportunities to make my dad proud. And he's all, Big Show's good at, like, immediately like crying like on cue and it's that kind of acting that only 20 odd years later will get you your own show on Netflix <laughs> oh god have you ever, have you watched any of that show god no no I watched the first episode and don't honestly it's the <laughs> biggest pile of shite <laughs> so yeah that'll, we'll come back to the big show and boss man uh, later on in this episode of Smackdown but all we can say about this the storyline with Big Show is that the worst is is definitely yet to come. Unfortunately. Yeah. And it's weird that, oh, he's this, like, 500-pound giant. We need to humanise him, but what can we do to make him more relatable? I know. Let's tell him, let's tell him his dad's got terminal illness. Oh, God, yeah. Let's make him a killer monster, for God's sake. But I know. They ruined him within <clears throat> the first few weeks of, of hiring him, having him lose to Stone Cold. I mean, mm-hmm. those two should have been kept as far away from each other as possible until they could have done a, a you know, a proper meaningful feud for the title or something. Yeah. Uh, well, speaking of weird angles, it doesn't get much better here. Uh, on this past week's Raw, we had uh, the continuation of Mark Henry's uh, therapy to overcome his addiction to sex. <laughs> so this past Monday night on... No, sorry, we'll go back even further. Uh, a week or so ago on SmackDown, he had a he sat down for his first therapy session with a female therapist that he kept trying to hit on. And then during this patient therapy, he reveals that he lost his virginity to his sister. And it wasn't an isolated incident. He kept sleeping with his sister until the day before yesterday. <laughs> so, so then on Raw, clearly freaked out by the apparent incest. Uh, he's lost that therapist and he's got a new one. And again, a woman who uh, tells... Um, Quite attractive, tell, by the way. Very much, yeah. Uh, tells Mark, you're going to be going through some extreme therapy. And that revolves going in, 
get involved in a Hojack match where <laughs> Mark Henry will take on the Godfather and uh, basically a version of a lumberjack match, but with holes all around the ring. And basically the object <laughs> is Mark has to focus on the match and not on the women outside, which of course he can't do. And the Godfather defeats uh, Mark Henry. And Mark Henry doesn't care because he just parties with the hose afterwards. <laughs> Me sexual <laughs> chocolate, Scott. Come on. <laughs> greatest, greatest theme music of all time, by the way. <laughs> and so Mark decides that uh, uh, both those female therapists couldn't help him because all he could think about was sex and they clearly wanted to sleep with him. So he, he's got in his latest therapy session, he's got a male therapist. And where could this be going? <laughs> <laughs> And so they could not have like hit you over the head with this any any more than they did. They they only did this like this went on for like thirty seconds. They couldn't have like extended it, let it play out, but no. They had the guy basically say, I can help you and basically puts his hand on like Henry's chest and then Henry goes, What did you say? So the guy repeats himself and then and then touches his chest in the exact same way they did before. And basically it's meant to imply that he's got a male therapist, but this therapist is gay. Because that was funny in ninety nine. <laughs> and then Mark yeah. Henry leaves, leaves and goes, man you, man, you need help. And the best bit is, the, the therapist goes, but chocolate, come back, sexual. Yeah. <laughs> Henry's full Christian name is Sexual Chocolate. First name <laughs> Sexual, last name Chocolate. Uh, yeah, his full name is Sexual Mark Henry Chocolate. Did you, did you not know this, Scott? Apparently. <laughs> I've not seen Mark Henry's birth certificate, so no, I cannot <laughs> <laughs> oh good lord and then the whole thing about the service I didn't even notice it but apparently he's meant to have a list which is a sign that he was gay and he cuts back to the area where Daryl goes that was a horrible therapist do you hear him he's got a list yeah um, I, I noted that I wasn't quite sure what the big deal was on the, the, the list but you know 1999 you know different times so we keep yeah. telling. So so people like me keep telling ourselves. <laughs> so, uh, Simon for Wabud on a roll. We've got a triple threat match of Al Snow defending the hardcore title against the Big Show and the Big Boss Man, which it seems weird. This is a trope they did a lot in the uh, the agenda where they have two out of the three participants fighting, and then the match starts before the, the third participant even gets to the ring because Al Snow and Boss Man just start fighting on the outside with the weapon before Big Show's even made his entrance. <laughs> It is a bit more realistic that way, though, than two people standing there waiting for the other person to make their entrance. Just especially if you're sort of feuding, you would you would want to get straight into it, wouldn't you? To be to be fair, so it it kind of makes sense from from that standpoint. But it's mm-hmm. typical of the Attitude Era. It's um, a very short match. It, it, it's a lot of fun, but it it is most. Most of the airtime is taken up by angles and storylines, really, and um, the wrestling's just like uh, takes a back seat. Very sort of fast-paced, short, short matches. Mm-hmm. So Big Show comes in, he throws around the boss man for obviously being so uncaring to Big Show's problem. He goes after Al Snow, who sprays him in the face with a fire extinguisher. That was pretty fun. Uh, it looks like Big Show might have actually the match one where he sends Al Snow through a table, but then the boss man comes off the apron with a nightstick and busts open the Big Show. But for some reason, instead of pinning Al Snow, who's just lying there lifeless to the table, 
he wastes the extra time having to roll the five hundred pound dead weight of Big Show onto his back so he can pin Big Show. <laughs> yeah, it would have been a lot easier just to to crawl over and and pin Al Snow in that situation, wouldn't it? But there you go. Yeah, and it just made me think like, what was the whole point of Al Snow going through the kind of hell to get the title back from Bossman if Bossman was just going to win it back here? <laughs> it was a. Uh... Yeah, they do some strange booking in '99. They they really do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think they just thought, well, boss man looks seems better with the hardcore title than Arsenal. Who knows? But uh, I'm just gonna do these two segments in one. Uh, Bulldog comes out. You know, again, I'm just thinking of the guy who just got put in dog crap on Raw. Basically, talks about if Triple H is too sick to defend the title, I'll win it from whoever. Uh, basically, still saying he wants the title, but. Once you've been slammed into dog shit, you're going, you're getting nowhere near the WAF title. And no, yeah, you, you, you push us over at that point. You just forget about it. Yeah, he basically he sends a message out that he won't get away with slamming him in dog crap, and he basically says he's going to get one step closer to the title. And then later on, we get a GTV segment which shows uh, Stephanie meeting with the bulldog, saying she doesn't hold any ill will towards him. That her dad and Tess are both really angry, and if he could just apologise, and Bulldog just yells out, "I'm not apologising. This has been a waste of my time," and just walks away. <laughs> I mean, do you really need GTV for that? Because GTV's whole point of it was you may catch like heels in the act, you may see things that superstars weren't didn't want you to see. But like, did you really need it for this segment? Because like, we don't we don't need to need GTV to remind us that Bulldog doesn't care about hitting Stephanie with the bin. Yeah, it's nothing uh, shocking or out of the ordinary, really. So, as you say, it's a bit of a, a bizarre one for GTV to be covering. But mm-hmm. I suppose it's meant to be a secret. I suppose it's meant to be a secret. You meant to believe it's a secret off-camera meeting, I suppose. Possibly. Yeah. Uh, I think they're trying to make it seem a bit more. I like think the idea of it being secret is making it look better than it actually is. But mm. uh, there are three constants on here in the retro review so far which are death, taxes, and Jeff Jarrett will attack a woman. Because, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because over the last few weeks, he's attacked Linda Vachon, China, he's put Flying Garcia in the, fo- in the figure four, he put a figure four on a random makeup woman, he drove Deborah away for some reason, Miss Kitty's still sticking by him, uh, and Jeff Jarrett comes out to hype up the good housekeeping match that will take place at No Mercy, with a bunch of household items and just basically goes around and explains what he's going to do with each item and in a segment which looks like more like a QVC advert than anything else. It really was, wasn't it? It's a very, very surreal and bizarre uh, segment, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. The, the funniest bit for me is because uh, randomly Deborah just comes out and Michael Cole just starts screaming at the top of his voice, Puppies! Puppies King! Puppies! You think you've never seen a naked breast in his entire life, the way, he was, the way he was screaming puppies. I mean, Michael Cole is the one who uh, referred to the, the uh, accolades earlier on as two big bad hombres. Like, Michael Cole is... I don't think uh, I would imply he's gotten cooler since. He's not very cool, it's Michael Cole. <laughs> no! <laughs> He's even less cool than me, and that is saying something. Before we talk about Deborah, I don't know if you noticed this, but there's a, a table in the middle ring where he's got some items laid down, and Jeff starts walking around 
So he's on one side of the table, and because of the SmackDown State, there's only a really hard and noticeable cut, and he's only on the other side. Like, it just was so jarring. Like, he's on one side of the ring, and suddenly, weird cut, he's on the other side now. I don't know if you noticed that. No, I didn't, actually, bizarrely, but, uh, yeah, <laughs> it, is, it is strange. Yeah, as you say, he's, like, mentioning um, the different items, and then Miss Kitty sort of either holding them up or pointing to them, as you say, like a like a game show or a QVC <laughs> talent t- type of thing. Well, uh, yeah, cause I think it, it was a case of maybe the segment was going longer than they, they thought it was. It was dragging, and obviously to t- for the tape version, they were just cutting it down, and also mm. the spent message just slipped through. But what was also weird is how Miss Kitty is nodding so agreeingly when... Jeff Jarrett says he's going to prove that women are weaker and that men are the dominant species. <laughs> yeah. She's totally, she's totally going along with this, isn't she? Not, not really um, sticking up for the sisters or anything, is she? <laughs> yeah. And then Deborah comes in, as you said, with for a big pot for Deborah, and by Deborah I mean her tits. But <laughs> well, that's what they're popping for. I mean, have you ever heard such a deadpan, just nothing voice in your life than Deborah? No. And can I ask you, have you, have you ever found her attractive? No. No, poor me. I, I've, I've, I've never... Yeah, she's got big fake boobs, and, and that's about it, really. She's yeah. never really did anything for me at all. And then she says, there's going to be a new IC champion at No Mercy, and it's going to be a woman. And then I love that Conjures go, how does she know? Well, because Jeff Jarrett's facing a woman for the IC title at No Mercy. <laughs> yeah. you were talk- you've been- that's what this whole segment's been hyping up. Michael, did you not remember? <laughs> He's such a goof at this point, isn't he? Bless him. And well, it's it is- it is still early in his career, but, but still. I don't know. Speaking of women I've actually never found attractive, Terry Reynolds is backstage. And basically hyping up the uh, the Terry Invitational Tournament, uh, and it's, which is for a hundred thousand dollars and her managerial services, and all all sorts of implications that come with the idea of it being for her services. She's posing it. with nothing but money, and obviously she's got some money uh, taped to her breasts, and and that that's about it. Not leaving much. much to the imagination. Pretty still though, pretty standard fare for. 1999. It's not not the sort of thing you'd uh, catch Bailey doing, for instance. No, and like you said, like I've I've never really found Terry that dreadful because she's had a lot of work done, hasn't she? You can sort of tell her face, yeah, and, and everywhere she seems to have had quite a bit done. I mean, she doesn't. Look, she looks fairly attractive when she's like Marlena when she debuted with Goldust, but like in the years since, especially here, you can see all the work that's been done. And it's just really kind of off-putting. But still, and, if I had to choose between her and Deborah, I'd, I'd go for Terry every day of the week. Probably, you know, yeah. if, 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 you know, I had to. <laughs> if you had to. <laughs> it's a weird game of would you rather there. But, all right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, backstage, the Edge and Christian are look at, looking at the segment on a monitor when the Hardys and Gangrel attack them which is setting up to another match in the Terry Invitational Tournament that's come later on, which we'll talk about now, but uh, something weird that they don't actually mention, they had a match on Raw as part of the series. Now, this was maybe match number four on Raw, 
it was 2-1 to Edge and Christian. The first two matches were regular matches, and then Terry made the third match a tornado tag, which the Hardys won. And then the match on Raw, it was a solid match. Like these, these matches have been consistently great because obviously it's the Hardys and Edge and Christian. They can't really have a bad match together. But on Raw, it ended in a double count out. So basically, that meant that the fourth match, it was 2-1 going to the fourth match. So that meant that the Hardys won the fifth match, which they end up doing here. It means like, well, it's 2-2 and one draw. But the match on Raw is actually never addressed. Yeah, it's uh, another one of these bizarre tropes they seem to to do more than once in, in this time period. Um, I suppose they wanted to extend extend the amount of matches they had, and, and that was the only way they could do it by having a, a non-finishing one. Because like, they have this match, the Hardys win, spoiler, but honestly, hopefully you've watched the episode before listening to this review, but the Hardys win the match, and then they go into No Mercy, and then the introduction uh, for No Mercy says, this is the fifth and deciding match in the Terry Invitational Tournament. It's like, Okay, so we're basically pretending that match on Raw didn't happen then. <laughs> Pretty much. But, I mean, going back to your spoiler, I mean, if, I mean, if anyone thought that any other result other than the Hardys winning this match is a, a potential match at No Mercy Looming, uh, you don't really know wrestling. <laughs> I know. I think it was more frustrating for me because I watched, or the last couple of days, because I've nothing else to do, I watched the Raw, this match, and No Mercy within a short space of time. So it's even more noticeable for me that when it's not talked about, because like I've just watched it, so I, of course I remember it. They tend to think <laughs> that they don't remember it. They've but, always treated us for wrestling fans like we have short memories, don't, don't they? They'll, they'll suddenly drop an angle out of nowhere and expect you just to sort of not remember it and go along with what they're doing now. What well, was very fitting for this, this was a tag team match, and it was a... Uh, it was refereed by the man who loves tag team matches more than anybody, and that's Teddy Long. Who, yeah, uh, uh, I forgot he used to be a referee before he uh, had his manage, started being a manager and uh, uh, a general manager of SmackDown. Kind of feel you kind of feel he was wasted as a referee when you you sort of see his performances uh, later on. Yeah, but I think unless like in the rare cases like with like Earl Hebner, whenever he gets in, like shoving matches with Triple H. I think it's a case where referees aren't really meant to outshine the talent, so I think that's kind of why. So, this match, what I like during the season, we'll see it a lot more when we get to know Mercy, but I noticed it here as well that during the course of the series, like, it felt like, you talk about it in retrospect, it's like, oh, it was a great opportunity for the Hardys to really show and really, Edge and Christian really show what they could do during these series of matches. But, like, you look at it and you think, they clearly wanted Terry on TV, so they thought, Let's have her manage one of these random tag teams. We've got to let them give them like more like flavour to them by having Terry at their side. So you can tell at the start this is clearly a vehicle for Terry, but almost accidentally it becomes more of a vehicle for Hardy's and Edge and Christian to shine. Yeah, it's it's a bit like um, what they did recently with uh, Angle Garza. They only they only sort of brought him up because they wanted to keep Zelina Vega on on TV. Mm-hmm. And. The thing with this match and what we're talking about No Mercy is that in the first couple of matches just because all you do is talk about Terry and talk about what the, the meaning, the double meaning. The double meaning. Yeah. It's all he does in the No Mercy match as well. He's absolutely obsessed with women and sex, isn't he? Absolutely obsessed. I know, but 
he start, he start, he start, he does start acknowledging like the talent and the risk that these guys are are taking in order to win. Because the first couple of matches, he kept on, but oh, I wish I was in this tournament. Or what do you, you know what they mean by services? <laughs> yeah, they like, shut up, king. <laughs> Uh, the finish does come. There's kind of a double pin spot where you got Edge being pinned by Jeff, where Christian's pinning Matt. For the referee, Bridge, tail on counts the three and awards the match to the Harris because apparently, as explained, uh, apparently Jeff and Edge were the two legal competitors. So you explained on commentary, but watching the match, I had no idea who was who was meant to be legal. To be honest, so I'm just going to take their word for it. You know. It used to say that The Undertaker was kind of the conscience of the diary. On well, in 99, I believe this man is the, the conscience of the company, and that is the godfather who comes <laughs> out what he knows to take on uh, the definition of a trash bag wrestler in Midian, who comes out with Viscera in his corner. And Godfather does what he usually does, he tries to offer the host to his opponent rather than do the match. And instead... Midian doesn't want hose, but he asks if he's got any farm animals. But, but not alive, dead ones, I'm not sick. <laughs> and the godfather's uh, response to this is priceless. He just looks at him and goes, oh, you some kind of freak. <laughs> so godfather and Midian have this match. It's very, quite a short match. Uh, Vistar obviously gets yeah. involved behind their I put, feet. I put, in my, I put in my notes... Uh, Godfather wins a short match mercifully because <laughs> he's not he's never been the best worker in the world himself to uh, to be fair yeah, what's funny is I don't I like the Godfather as a character but I never really remember him winning that many matches and there was one too within the space of a week like he beat Mark Henry on Raw and then he beat Midian here like he's on a fucking hot streak as the he Godfather is, isn't he he really is and um the, the hoes actually make themselves useful in this match as well for for a change. Yeah, you know they earn they earn that money because uh, obviously as I said, Vister got involved, but Godfather uh, it gets control back back of the match. He hits a Death Valley driver, and then he does the uh, the pimp whole drop. Pimp went. drop. Uh, I know. Yeah, I'm down. <laughs> yeah, I'm down. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, it's a move. Uh, Vister goes to interfere, gets up in the apron, but as you said, yeah, all four holes grab Vister as a leg to stop him from interfering. But unfortunately, that does not prevent Vister from attacking Godfather post-match as as Midian holds him down while Vister does a splash on the Godfather. But yeah, like I said, like, Godfather's on a bit of a streak at the moment. Put, put the title on him now. <laughs> I almost forgot this was a thing here. A... Val Venus and Dudlock. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, I have got it back, back a page or two in my uh, notes. Again, another, another very short match. I think I only wrote about three lines on it. Yeah, I think I put the. Uh, I looked at my notes. I put the same with uh, with Mick Foley and the actual having the match in the same bit, even though they're having at different points of the show. So for a second there, I didn't know really where they were. But yeah, like I said, I think it was just a, a warm up for Val. And, and lead into No Mercy because Stewart just comes off the top at the start of the match immediately gets his head taken off with a clothesline uh, like a rough looking blue thunder bomb uh, followed by the money shot and uh, this whole feud is basically centered around the fact that the, Mick Foley made a version of Stocko for the rock called <laughs> Mr. Rocko <laughs> yeah. which Valvina stole 
and that's basically the epicenter of the feud. So he gets Mr. Rocco out and basically puts a, a testicle claw <laughs> on, on Stevie Richards. Oh, God. It's pure, it's pure genius. Oh, I mean, I know Mick Foley were in the same way trying to get over the catchphrase of testicular fortitude, but I don't think it's the way he had in mind. <laughs> no, not at all. But, <laughs> yeah. So, well, we just get the win. I don't have much else to say. Uh, so pretty, much, pretty much it. Man, mankind was right when he tells Stephen Richard Valvinus would kill you because he uh, <laughs> literally did. I mean, Valve did try, seem like he tried to see his promo on Mankind, but he still had the puns uh, related to being a porn star. Like, he's the fastest up and coming uh, star in the company, and that he took Mr. Rocco to the promised land, aka he <laughs> still had his draws. <laughs> Good lord. So speaking of I, mean, I, quite, I quite liked his act back in the day, but bearing in mind I was I was nineteen. <laughs> so Mankind and the Rock take on the New Age Outlaws for the tag titles. Uh, the Rock and Billy Gunn start the match in an epic rematch from their Summer Slam encounter. So uh, Michael Cole, I think, or it was Cole or Lawler said that one of these that these two were probably two of the best athletes in the WF, which is not entirely wrong because. Billy Gunn as a wrestler is actually quite underrated, I think. Yeah, it was the right opponent. He he could really go, to be honest, um, Billy Gunn, when he put his mind to it. But on other occasions, he, he could also wrestle like a bag of shite as well. So. <laughs> yeah. But Road Dogg was never... Road Dog was never anything special in the ring. He had his, his, he had his shtick where he'd do his sort of shake, rattle and roll gimmick and a pump handle slam, and that was pretty much about it, really. Pretty much. Uh, Mankind wrestles with his rock and silk jacket on. He won't feel the mental <laughs> when he goes outside later on. Uh, there's a blatant low blow in front of the referee, but O'Hemner just ignores it. Uh, there's a really sick-looking pile driver uh, McFoley takes. Uh, eventually, it's all building towards the rock getting the hot tag and everything. Uh, the rock comes in, hits the rock bottom, Count. Uh, this, I was actually I was certain Bulldog was going to come down and screw rocking that at some point, but then to my surprise, uh, uh, the referee gets knocked down. Crash Holly tries to interfere and hit. I think yeah. I came Road Dog or something like that with uh, a weapon. Accidentally hits Mankind, gets thrown at the ring. I thought, well, that didn't work. And then Hardcore comes in, hits him with a title belt, and then Mankind just crawls over on the cover. And get the win in the rock and sock of the tie team champions what? again. I want to know. I want to. I don't understand what are the Hollies doing? Why are they interfering in this match? And why are they helping Rock and Sock Connection win? I mean, they've they've just done themselves out of a title match. I just, I, I just don't, I just don't understand what they're thinking. I know. I was thinking that silly. Uh, it was only when I sat down watching the rest. I thought, well, I guess that match will not be for the titles. Like, it still happens, but like. I was like, well, you just caused yourself an opportunity to be tight in championship tips. I know. They didn't think that through at all, did they? And as we no. were alluding to before, now they've made Mankind and Rock tag team champions, and they're not really a proper tag team. They've both got singles matches at the pay-per-view. It's like you were saying, they could have done Test and Bulldog and perhaps put Mankind and Rock in a tag match against 
Val Venus and a, a partner of his choosing or, or something, perhaps, or a, or a free or scrap the Val Venus thing and put like a triple threat tag match between them, the Hollies, and the Outlaws. So at least the tag titles were on the line. God knows what they were thinking. I think it was just a case of swerve. You thought these people were going to fight for the tag titles, but then now these two are the tag champs. Because I think also says <laughs> the whole thing that they were hyping up is this will be the last time the Rock doesn't want anything to do with mankind. And then you see the look on the Rock's face. The Rock does not look, look pleased that he's now won half of the tag team championship. <laughs> yeah, most people have been thrilled to death they've won a championship, and <laughs> the doesn't look happy at all. Yeah, I did say though, like. Well, uh, the case of the Hollies v. Uh, it was it was it did seem like a case of it just seemed like they all they were looking at a challenger for this month's pay per view because there wasn't really that much to this feud. So again, mm. the company thought, well, it's not really much going for this. I don't know. It doesn't really feel like a, a tag title worthy program. So they thought just took the tag titles out of it. They might as well have tag titles in it to be honest. It, it had more value as a championship match than just sticking them on the. The Rock and Mankind for no apparent reason, but but there you go. Yeah, uh, I'm going. I didn't mention some of the segments happened during it because I was going to put them all together in this next one. Yeah, give you what's been going on. Like again, we keep having this like running theme of shots of a door to kind of waiting the arrival of Stone Cold. Eventually, Austin gets to the arena. He doesn't seem too annoyed about Triple H being bitten because he said, "How the hell was I supposed to know that stick was going to bite him?" Well, you left him in a room with a rattlesnake. Like, you ever said we thought it was some possibility? <laughs> yeah, well, to be fair, so because what, what did you expect to happen? There's um, also a bit, I don't know, is it before Austin gets there or after when sort of China comes out of the uh, dressing room in a panic? I think it was just before, but yeah, she's basically saying something's wrong with Hunter. And then we see Triple H getting taken away in a stretcher into an ambulance and he's basically frothing at the mouth. And then he gets the boy. He's on his way back to the arena, and Austin, Austin had said in his interview that he'd be willing to even go to the hospital to get the belt off the Triple H. So I think that's something that happened before Austin arrived at the building. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I thought it did, but I wasn't hundred percent. Yeah, um, but yeah, super hard Triple H. You know, he, he doesn't need to stay long in the hospital for a snake bite. He, he's back out there in a few minutes. They still do that nowadays, don't they? Didn't Becky Lynch apparently go to hospital and then come back and drive? Did she drive herself there or something? And then something like back? that. Something like that. Remember the time she got bitten by a bat in the by Gina That was it. That was it. So Kovitz comes back. He's basically limping. He's basically he's hanging on China. He's armoring her, and basically says, "Here, have your belt and all that." And us like, "I don't want it this way." Like, even though earlier on you said you wanted to, you were willing to come to the hospital and get it, but you're not willing to have him come back from the hospital and give you the belt. Uh, which is just weird. He goes, his hands in the belt, and uh, China goes, Well, I hope this makes you happy, Steve. And while Austin's looking at China, Triple H jumps him, and the commentator's like, Wait, What's happening? And Triple H just rips, <laughs> off, Triple H rips off his weird makeup thing and reveals, Oh, shock horror, it was a ruse all along. Didn't say that come in. Nope. What a swear and a half. You really got us there. I know, yeah. Help me believe in it. Hook, line and sinker. Uh, and he basically says the Austin, this tale means more to me than it ever will to you. And that's how SmackDown goes off air. So our main event is 
still going to go ahead. Uh, Austin versus Triple H for the WF title at No Mercy. Thoughts on that angle, Carl? Yeah, it, uh, it wasn't the greatest conceived angle. I mean, the makeup never looked convincing. Um, Austin is usually a very intelligent baby face who isn't easily duped like this as well. So he couldn't have been too happy about having to do this angle, I wouldn't have thought, because he was always quite protective of his character. And to get duped in such a way, it, I don't know. It, it, it was entertaining in spots, but uh, I think it was poorly conceived, really. Yeah, I mean, I don't really see what the whole point is, like, carried on, like, even going through the trouble of going to the hospital in uh, an ambulance and then coming back, all just to, all for the authenticity, just to, like, fuck with Austin. Like, it just, like, shows so much thought going into something that he really didn't have to do with Triple H. I don't really see the, the point in that. But, you know, again, it's just a continuation of the idea. Austin's nickname is a rattlesnake. We need a, some sort of snake-related angle to take us home. And all these, and all these arenas must be shockingly close to hospitals as well, because <laughs> <laughs> within a two-hour period, he's gone to the hospital and then come all the way back. I know. So this was a, a very eventful go-home episode of uh, SmackDown. I think it's very soon. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's quite an enjoyable show actually. Uh, it, it, it was paced pretty well, to be fair. Um, I've seen a lot. I've seen a lot worse <laughs> since and before. So yeah, I didn't mind it. I thought it was a, a decent show, perhaps a, a seven out of ten if I was going to give it a rating. I was going to say we usually, I usually try and give it like either a thumbs in the middle, thumbs down, or thumbs up. I think this would be thumbs in the middle, maybe for me. Uh, I, I don't say I wouldn't say there's anything bad with it, but. I can say it was a very eventful, if not a really jarring episode of uh, SmackDown with some decisions that I'm looking like, why the hell did you do that so close to your pay-per-view? Yeah, I think perhaps, as I say, probably just gets a thumbs up from me, but yeah, there are some there are some funny things like the Hollies doing themselves out of a title match, which makes no sense, and the um, main event angle been a bit poorly put together and full tight, but at the same time, it's it's a, it's it was a fun it was a fun show. I, I never really felt that bored watching it. So um, yeah, not too bad at all. Yeah, I think I'll, I think I may give it like a kind of middling to it because, like I said, there wasn't that much uh, anything necessarily bad with it. But it was like I did feel a very over the all over the place show, and mm. as, I said, as I said, the tone was just. Uh-huh. Howard Finkel belongs to Mr. Hughes. Victor's uh, dad is dying. Like stuff like that is really off. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh. That's pretty, pretty hideous to be honest. It does, does lose points for the big show stuff. It's just yeah, but it is pretty much typical of uh, its time period. Unfortunately, none of that makes it any better. Yeah. What did you guys think of this particular episode back then? If you did watch it. Uh, let us know on Twitter at Rogue underscore Opinion. Uh, be sure to look in our archives for the previous episodes of the Retro Review. Uh, we hope you enjoyed the episode. We hope you'll stay tuned for next week's episode where it will be our review of No Mercy, at which Carl will be joining me for. 
uh, we're also on Facebook now, which Carl will now tell you all about. <laughs> yeah, we've uh, we've got our own Facebook group, which you're uh, more than welcome to join at Rogue Opinions 20. We have to stick a 20 on the end because Rogue Opinions has already been used by someone else. Um, we've also got a, a website as well, with which we, uh, we're putting articles and blogs up on there. It's already got a bit of content up there. You can find that at uh, Rogue Opinions 20 dot com at wordpress if you if you put that into your google you'll find us easily enough so check out our new website and also our back catalogue of pods more more smack down on there if you want to throw back a few what, about four or five months ago is it since the last one yeah i think uh since me and jimmy jimmy especially got a lot more busy so and he's even more busy now during the current pandemic so yeah it was a good few months ago what i think it's a good time to bring this show back yeah I also want to give big props to Jimmy having to having to work in this difficult time myself uh, I've been put on furlough leave so I'm not uh, having to work at the at the moment it is what it is well done to Jimmy and yeah uh, all the the content as well as Smackdown can be found on Anchor Um, Nathan's just done um the year is it the year of he calls it he's done, a, it done another one of those with uh, you yourself scott yeah uh, it went up just the other day i mean isn't looking at the year i was born uh, the year 1996 a, a year with a lot of downs that i uh, we had to struggle to find actual positives for when we were actually looking it up so be sure to check that oh, out <laughs> uh, until the next episode we can until the next episode where we'll be looking at, you know, Mercy, you can find me on Twitter at ScottMcLeod1986 and you can find my other podcast, Scott and Paul's Realm Podcast, at S3 Rambling. We've had some issues the last week or so having to do remote recording uh, and we had some issues audio-wise with that, but we are getting those sorted and we're going to be bringing some new episodes to you very soon. Uh, Carl, where can they find you? Yeah, you can find me at... Uh... Carlos underscore fire eighty nine on Twitter and Instagram, and you can also find Rogue Opinions at um, Twitter and Instagram as well. Very good. Uh, until next time, we'll be talking about no mercy, but definitely please enjoy the tune of a man who's on a a real hot streak at a minute. Please enjoy the sounds of the Godfather's entrance theme. See you. Bye. Come get on that. Ha <laughs> ha ain't easy